Commandos. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Hunter Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Wednesday, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, another edition of Sandos and the Sidekick. Now, again, this is a special non-signing day edition. We'll have that tomorrow. So we will have a Thursday all-encompassing. I've been talking with the coaches, been watching as some of the guys have signed already as we're recording on Wednesday. We'll go over who has left the program, whether it's graduation, transferred, other means, but we'll go over who's not on the roster We'll go over who has been added to the roster, whether it's transfer, whether it has been due to signings, due to get on campus. So a lot to talk about that we'll handle on Thursday. So we're not ignoring football. We are going to do a special, uh, just a one long segment until we get through it. I don't know if it's going to be a 35, 40 minute. That what it was last year. Hour 10 epic. Who knows? Me and you get going. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> we got opinions. We get going. But today we're going to do basketball. So we're going to talk ETSU Chattanooga. We're going to talk ETSU Western Carolina on the women's side. Third segment, we're going to talk about uh, Jay's hate list. Yeah, and I could see the the your eyes and the smirk and your. I can't wait. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm some, very interested. Some, very some will be some uh, splaining to do, right? Because some things are uh, for some Buck fans will know and understand if you've been a Buck fan for a long time. But this is my list, so there's things kind of off the reservation that. Uh, you know, it's not pertaining to ETSU, so I may have to explain some of that stuff. But I have a feeling I'm going to fill in a lot of gaps on some yeah, of Yeah, I'm also interested to see just the explanations behind them and how many holes I can poke in them to see oh, why you truly do or if plenty. it's really just uh, I feel obligated type thing. Uh, there's a lot of layers to peel back here. There's a lot of different directions this could go. I like the unpredictability. I like the mystery. That's what this show's all about, unpredictability and mystery, right? No, oh, absolutely. That's what we base ourselves on. Yeah. You know, do we have a last segment? I don't even know. No, we don't. That's right. We're just doing three because we got right. Thursday football. Exactly. Okay. So let's start ETSU basketball as uh, they dominate Chattanooga once again. And uh, last time out. Oh, I thought you were going to say already tonight. I was like, oh, you're already oh, marking yeah. it off. Okay. Well, I mean, if you're asking me, of course I'm going to say that. But, uh, no, I th- think we'll let, the, we'll let the game happen the way it is. And if you're – Chattanooga, they're certainly coming off a crushing loss. If you heard Matt Ryan's comments, and we'll hear him at some point. Uh, on Santa's well, we're going to have to yeah. at some point revisit that. But I, I think uh, just seeing what ETSU was able to do, jump out to a twenty-seven point lead, Chattanooga was able to fight back. Right after that, they got a win, then they got a loss. Matt Ryan took the loss very hard because it was to Western Carolina, in which it seems like everyone in the world but us, and it still feels like Western's a fraud, but. Either way, they're looking at this game. They need to make a statement. 
for Chattanooga. They need to win. It's going to start with Matt Ryan on the offensive end. And then on the defensive end, Bo Hodges had that monster game last time against Chattanooga and started the game off just going and attacking the rim and never stopped. And the 27 points later, you know, a new career high for him. Will Chattanooga, are they going to try to do what they did last time, which is just say, okay, whoever's guarding Bo Hodges, good luck one-on-one. I can't imagine after seeing him go 12 for 17 from the floor. I can't imagine that's how they would do that again. There's got to be some kind of adjustment because whatever they were doing uh, did not work. And you talk about Chattanooga making that run, and Coach Forbes, if you remember post game, talked about how he wasn't extremely comfortable how the game ended. Obviously, you get the 11-point win still, and you'll take a W any way you can get it, especially in the Southern Conference, in the league, in any league. You want your league wins uh, regardless of how they come. But he kind of looked ahead and thought that that's maybe something that Chattanooga can grasp onto and say, okay, yeah, we were down 27, but we were able to make a huge run, get it down to, I thought it was seven, but I see it nine here uh, with about six minutes to go after A.J. Caldwell hit one of his three threes on the night on his six-for-six night. Now, they're going to have to find some production outside of (laughs) A.J. Caldwell, right? Uh, Matt Ryan had a bad night, um, and he's had a lot of bad nights on nights that have been bad for Chattanooga. Uh, Now, Vila had a good night, uh, but to have your second-leading score tied for your lead be A.J. Caldwell, who is just not a guy that's going to fill it up often, I'm not thinking he's going to drop 17 again and go 6-for-6 from the field. Uh, obviously that seemed to be a bit of him blacking out playing out of his mind so not thinking that that's something that's going to duplicate itself I mean 17-7-4 and four, uh, one of his better games as a collegiate so you're either going to need more from Gene Baptiste who had nine points four of eight from the floor you're going to need more from Matt Ryan who was three of nine four nine points and if you want the night to go how you do if you're Lamont Paris and the Mox I think you really do have to start with Matt Ryan. It really does begin and sometimes end there for them, it seems like. And I gave you these stats yesterday, but I'm going to relay them to the listeners as well. In every loss this year, Ryan has had a rough game in one way or another. You look at Eastern Kentucky, 5 of 18 from the field, 15 points. Florida State, 3 of 6 from the field, 10 points. Just didn't really get his touches and his shots up that game. Tennessee, 4 of 12 from the field, 9 points. Western, 8 of 20, 18 points. So he got 18 which is the most points he scored in the loss, but 20 shots to get there, not very efficient. Virginia Tech, one of seven, two points. That speaks for itself. Furman, five of 11, 13 points. UNCG, three of 13 for nine points. ETSU, three of nine for nine points. And then in that loss to Western, I think he needed to do a little bit of looking in the mirror. Obviously, he was very upset with his comments that if you haven't heard, basically he just said, I can't believe we lost to them. We're way better than them, even though they've lost twice now this year. Uh, Four of nine, 12 points. And when you look at the trends, in losses, 34% from the field for Matt Ryan, 11 points per game. And all of his single-digit performances this year, all four of them have come in losses, 26% from three in wins, 45% from the field, 17 points per game, no single-digit performances, 40% from three. So while Matt Ryan was upset, I think Matt Ryan has to be upset at one person in particular, and that's Matt Ryan. I, I agree. You take a look at the numbers, and it does appear – it is all about Matt Ryan, and he's uh, certainly, I think, the number one thing ETSU needs to try to stop. I think the last couple of years, David Jean Baptiste has been the guy, and ETSU's been able to kind of keep him in check. He's just averaging uh, 6.4 points uh, against ETSU, and considering he's averaging about 14 for his career, I think it's pretty solid defense on him. I think Ramon Vila is a guy that caused some issues again, and he's averaging almost 14 points against ETSU, which is about 
It is average, so maybe it's not that big of an issue. But I think the inside-out game, especially if Ryan – and Ryan got off to a horrific start, if you remember, in the first game because Bo Hodges got him to commit two fouls. And they were two awful fouls because he neither nor really earned them but yet didn't get out of the way. They were both on fast breaks, uh, steals, Hodges going to the rim. And Ryan, instead of either getting out of the way and giving up the layup or if you're going to foul – foul and it wasn't even like he was trying to take a charge it was just kind of stand there and kind of body him and sidestepped and there were two horrific fouls and then his third foul was the same thing and I remember just saying on air like like you're a fifth year player what are you doing either foul somebody and again I'm not talking dirty foul we're, we're, we're never talking that but foul somebody to where they can't hit a layup right without being a dirty play or get out of the way like, he had picked up three fouls and took himself out of the game. So, I'm thinking ETSU is going to do exactly what they did last time, which is try to go right at Ryan and see if he commits some fouls. And they should do so with Bo Hodges. And if they have anybody else on him besides that, they're going to call, uh, what is it, Barkley or whatever they yell out, which means just be a man and go to the rim. You're just bigger and stronger and better than them. And I think that's uh, my favorite call they've ever named a play. Maybe because I'm a big Barkley fan. But uh, Bo Hodges, just go put him in the basket. But I, I just I cannot see this game playing out to where they're going to just play one-on-one with Bo Hodges. I, mean, I, I just can't imagine Lamont Paris looking at the film, even being a Wisconsin guy, being a half-court man-to-man guy, not really wanting to be a whole lot of help. I just can't imagine him watching the film and going, well, we can let that happen again. I, I just cannot see that going down the other thing is is now that aj caldwell had that blow-up game he's got a lot more minutes it's amazing had a chance to shine against ctsu he's seeing more minutes maurice commander's been out a little bit of a back injury trey dooms has been getting more action at the point guard position we did see him some uh, late in the game he was a transfer from uh, i think it was uh west virginia and, and got in late yeah transfer west virginia got a late waiver so he, he's eligible to play so it'd be interesting to see uh, how Dooms uh, with Commander a little bit shelved, how he's able to do. He had a lot of key rebounds late in the game. Uh, you know, again, sort of like Tisdale's a point guard you don't expect, but late in the game against West Carolina, he had two or three key rebounds that it kind of kept chat uh, in the contest and that tough loss against the Catamounts. Do they strike you as a very physical team? Chad? They do not. They, they don't to me either. And you look back to how things closed out against DTSU for Chattanooga. You know, the Bucks run a 13 to nothing run. Then, you know, Vila got a couple of layups in this last game that we're talking about. Caldwell hit three threes. And then Ryan and Kenich hit threes. And then the Bucks just went tougher. They went more physical. They went with their hustle guys. They went with guys that can really body you and will. Those junkyard dogs that Steve Forbes talked about, they inserted Isaiah Tisdale and Vonnie Patterson for Patrick Good and Trey Boyd. Your two shooters went out, and your two probably most physical, with especially with Jerome Rodriguez out, right? Probably your most physical players in Tisdale and Patterson. I'm going to be interested to see what offensive team that we get from Chattanooga tonight. They had shot 49% or better in six of their previous seven games entering the Western Carolina game. They shot 34%. Second worst three-point shooting night of the year at 7-27 to 27 for 26%. And I look at a couple of different things when it comes to last game. The Bucks played them, and then their trends this year offensively. So the big areas where ETSU kind of separated themselves last game, they were plus 20 in the paint, plus 11 points of turnovers, plus 12 in turnovers forced. Now, Chattanooga's 5-1 outside of that game in games that they shoot 50% 
or better this year from the floor. Remember, Coach Forbes talked about after the uh, Mercer game that Chattanooga had come into Freedom Hall and shot, what, 52% or whatever it was, and then Mercer went ahead and shot 64%. But that was one of two losses for Chattanooga this year when they've shot 50% or better. The other game that Chattanooga lost when they shot 50% or better was Furman by seven, and they were minus 10 in the paint, minus nine points out turnovers, and Mike Bothwell scored a career-high 27. Bo Hodges, career-high 27 in the Bucks win. So points in the paint, points out turnovers, and then turnovers force I just kind of threw in there, but that goes right along with points out turnovers. And then you have one guy really taking over the game. Those are the big areas. It's where ETSU took advantage of Chattanooga. It's where Furman took advantage of Chattanooga. And the bad part for the Mox tonight is certainly it may not be Bo Hodges. And I'm guessing if they're smart, if Lamont Paris has drawn up any kind of game plan at all, it will not be Bo Hodges. But Patrick Good is absolutely 100% due for a game. You know, Trey Boyd is coming off a big game. Uh, obviously, there's still no Jeremy Rodriguez, but, uh, you know, who's, who's going to be next up? You know, is it going to be Isaiah Tisdale? Is it going to be Lucas Gusson? Well, I was going to say, Joe Hughley, I'm know? glad you said Gusson because he's actually averaging over 11 points per contest against Chattanooga. And so that's been a team that he's been able to, to score a lot against. 18 career, 18 for 28. That's 64%. Uh, one and one from three. Eight of eight from the free throw line. Uh, just 18 rebounds. That's only about four and a half per game. You'd like to see probably more of that. But he has five block shots as well in three games. So the the 11 points. So I think that's going to be very important uh, for him. I think clearly the game plan for Chattanooga is stop Bo Hodges, then probably Trey Boyd. After that, the names you mentioned, who who is going to be the guy that steps up. And I'm curious to see can Goussaint be able to do so because the Bucks have had, for whatever reason, great big men efforts on the road at Chattanooga. And I don't know why that is, but we uh, look back at it. We saw Milad Narmas have a, a big one. We've seen Jerome Rodriguez have a big one. We saw Hunter Mascara Pereira have a big one. Uh, so there's been guys, uh, post players, that have had big days down in the roundhouse. And so will Gasson be the guy that's ready to go? And I think Davian Williamson is really starting to emerge from kind of that lull. I don't want to say slump, really, because he's still threw in a good game or two um, from, you know, really this calendar year, you know, from January 1st uh, to that January 18th game against Western Carolina. Since then, 15 against Chattanooga, uh, 14 against, or pardon me, 10 against Mercer, and then 9 against UNCG. And that Mercer game took nine shots to get 10 points, but really he's been pretty efficient. Eight shots against Chattanooga to get 15 points and he just seems like he's returning and I'm not sure if it was a conversation that he had with some of the coaching staff or if it just has kind of naturally worked itself out because there's going to be ebbs and flows in every season especially with the makeup of this team you know there's not going to be nights where guys are going for 15 or 16 every single evening it's not going to be that way with how this team uh, operates and all the options that they have so there's ebbs and flows maybe it has just uh, worked itself out for Davian Williamson, but I think that this could be kind of the culmination of that reemergence. So, Gusson for you, I think Williamson for me, those are a couple of big options, um, but they have to game plan Chattanooga does around Bo Hodges, and if they don't, he will wreck the game again. I mean, he will not sit idly by and see them play him the same way and not do the exact same thing again. He will be aggressive. Coaches will get in his ear, and he will drop 27 again. And, and I know it's something you and me would be happy to see. Uh, I don't think that's how it's going to go um, but certainly he's capable even if they do change how they approach Bo Hodges in doing that again and it would be a welcome sight for Buck's eyes yeah I, I think I'm hoping that the coaching staff is just like we believe in what we teach 
and we're still believing we can stop Bo Hodges. Because I have no faith that Chattanooga can. They're going to have to prove to me and Bo Hodges that they can. But I'm. But if the first play of the game isn't give the ball to Bo Hodges and clear out and see, see what they're going to do, yep. I'm going to question. I'm, I may ask Steve Forbes that the first question out of pregame. Coach, are you going to give Bo Hodges a clear out on the first play and see what happens? Why not? And if not, that's the exact question I'm going to ask. Why not? Like, I don't know a lot about basketball, but I know Bo Hodges was the best player that they've ever seen before, apparently in their entire life, because they had no answer for him and refused to believe that he could do it. So, uh, On the tough point, before we get going or move on, or you have any more other things you want to say on it, block shots and steals last in the league for Chattanooga. The, the hustle board, you know, and those things that separate teams, you know, from a 64-61 loss to Western Carolina as opposed to a 64-61 win, they just don't do. So it's just more evidence to, you know, a team that is maybe a bit softer, you know, I'm not trying to give bulletin board material or, or anything like that, but I think you and me can agree watching them and watching ETSU, and we see ETSU on a day-by-day day basis, and of course we are ETSU through and through, but to an impartial, unbiased observer, I don't think they'd see anything else. And the blocks and seals tells me that, too. They're also last in the league in scoring, so I just don't think this is going to be a contest. I think we're going to see an urgency of ETSU to play a full 40. I think the Coach Forbes is going to get in their ear and say, look, those were... 30 great minutes, but don't leave them any hope this time. Close them out and leave no doubt that if you meet them in the Southern Conference Tournament, that the game's going to go one way. Defeat them the third time before they even have a chance to step on the floor if that scenario should come around. Totally agree. I think you uh, make it the longest win streak in the history of the series. Uh, you bury them again, and I think you have to start the game fast. No hope can't get A.J. Caldwell or somebody else like that going again and just try to stay in the way of, of um, Matt Ryan. And I think it's that simple. And unless Chat comes out in a full-court press or zone or something just out of control that we don't see the norm for them, then I, I don't see how they're going to stop ETSU. Just my thoughts. Plus, I think ETSU after the loss is focused. I think after the Mercer game, they came back ready to go. You know, to, to me – this is a game that is going to be more business-like for them than a rivalry. The The home fans gave it the feel of that. I don't know that Chattanooga on a Wednesday night is going to have that feel. I could be wrong, and we'll get down there tonight. Maybe it will change that, but I feel like for ETSU, it'll be a welcome go in there and feel like a regular contest and more business approach than a rivalry-type atmosphere, and especially if these teams were – splitting season series and going back and forth this would be a different type feel for me today but it's not and i think etsu should be able to control the tempo and win the contest so all right that's our breakdown of chattanooga when we come back we'll talk western carolina we'll talk to catamounts the ladies side right after this time out to your word santa psychic on the bucket here sports network over the last 70 years johnson city power board has had a few different looks but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on now We've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com.
Sanderson, the sidekick, back with you as we get you set for Wednesday and Thursday's basketball games tonight. It's ETSU Chattanooga, 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 airtime. Tomorrow, 6.30 airtime. Thursday night versus the Catamounts, Western Carolina, who finally, finally broke the losing streak. And so there's one thing. They've got that off the back now. Will that continue to propel them into playing basketball more motivated? Is I don't know. I don't know, Mike. I've never been a part of that type of streak um so i'm not i don't know how to treat that i don't know if that is a monkeys off our back shoe now we can just go play and maybe they play more freely maybe they're ready to go maybe it's a you know hey we've tasted victory that, that feels pretty good let's try to get that again or is it one of those situations where like shh, the monkeys off our back and then it just it's a different type of relief but still not a sense of urgency yeah i don't want to denigrate western carolina uh goodness knows the game has already done enough to do that with 26 consecutive Southern Conference losses heading into that game against Mercer but I think that game was more about Mercer and their just unbelievable decline this year if you would have told me at the beginning of the year and I'll I'll flat out say it uh, in my poll my preseason poll I put Mercer number one which now looks completely absurd and ridiculous right but my thought behind it was you win 34 consecutive Southern Conference games You've earned the right to be at the top of that poll. And I know that they don't have Amanda Thompson and Kiki Callaway, Kalia Lawrence from the last few years. I know they lost a lot, and they did lose a lot, Mercer did. But I would have never envisioned in a million years 40 points against Western Carolina and the team that won 34 consecutive games and Mercer entering the year would be the one that would break the streak of Western Carolina of 26 straight Southern Conference losses. 40 points. And you can say that Western really ramped up the defensive effort. You know, that's possible. Sure, I didn't see the game. I didn't rewatch it, quite honestly. You know, a 51-40 game doesn't exactly sound like a game I want to go back and rewatch, just to be quite honest. Uh, but Western Carolina played six players uh, and added a seventh that played one minute, Diara Smith. Um, but they have who they have. They had a player leave at the midway point of the year, so they lost a little bit of depth there. Um, they're going to play, you know, Lauren LaPlante, um, Judith Martin-Ruiz, Andrew Martin-Ruiz, who are sisters from Granada, Spain, Jewel Smalls, Timber Motes. Those are their main five. Uh, and then they're going to throw in a little bit of Alyssa Walker and perhaps some Diara Smith. But uh, it is incredible to see that happening from this past weekend. Um, again, one that I think really blew my mind. Now, you look at the offensive end, and the reason I say that I think it's more about Mercer than about Western Carolina is because nothing really changed for Western Carolina, offensively at least. You look at their games this year, uh, and I'm throwing out Southern Wesleyan because that's a non-D1. It's kind of like we throw out Converse when we talk about ETSU. Just a non-D1, you can't really trust those numbers. Outside of that game, Chattanooga, they scored 52. ETSU, 57. UNCG, 43. Did put up 63 against Wofford, but gave up 76. 53 against Furman. 50 against Stanford. 51 against Mercer in that win. So uh, games had really been going very similarly throughout this calendar year uh it was put up 50 and hope that you can hold your opponent below that you know anywhere from 50 to 60 hope you can hold your opponent below that and they had not done that until that mercer game where without a whole lot of offensive options really just shannon titus and then whoever can try and step up on a given night or i should say jaron doherty and who can ever can step up on a given night you know doherty and titus are pretty much all they have offensively and they feature them pretty exclusively um, but Doherty had eight points on four of 16 from the field. Shannon Titus had nine points on four of 15 from the field. Um, if those two are doing that, things aren't going to go well. Uh, and 
again, maybe it was all about Western Carolina's defense, uh, but I really have a tough time believing that they locked down man-on-man, didn't give, woman-on-woman, I should say, didn't give an inch of space and forced all of these tough shots from the Bears. Um, It's just incredible to see. Anyway, point being, and I'll get off that tangent, um, last year's game, if you remember, 88-80 to in overtime at Brooks Gym. I do. I was actually at Chattanooga. It's it's odd that it falls at the same time. And uh, it was one of the more mind-bending finishes that I've seen to regulation. Uh, Myself, Stephen May, and a few others went back and looked at the three from Jewel Smalls fading out of bounds 35 feet away that went in and was then wiped away um and you can dispute the shot or the game clock and how many seconds should have been on it and when the clock started and uh if she got it off or not uh the replay shows she did um the the bucket was wiped away because they said that the game clock was not started on time i'm not here to impart opinion on that just saying i'm sure western carolina felt extremely um I don't know. I don't know the word. I guess they felt shortchanged, you know, at the very least. Robbed. Uh, robbed, you know, you can use that number, that uh, that word too. Uh, the Bucks took the win. That was about as close as Western Carolina had gotten to breaking their streak until they did against Mercer. I don't know if that's going to be motivation or not. I think that if I were Kylie Hill, who was not here for that game, remember, he's a first-year head coach. So um, if I were his players, I would say, hey, coach, you know, here's what happened last time in this building. And if I were then coach hearing that information, I'd play it up. So you remember what happened here last year. Make sure that you're not in the position to leave any doubt this year. Go out, take the game by the neck, and put it in a real stranglehold, and don't let go until all 40 minutes have run off the clock. ETSU, of course, would win in overtime 88-80. to 80. So uh, I would really play that up because there are a lot of players back on this team from that team, including Jewel Smalls, who had 32 that night, a career high that she tied earlier this year against Gardner-Webb. She's had bad games against ETSU every other time she's played them, but that game she really blew up. Yeah, I think the the big thing, they just struggle so much offensively. I mean, they score 52 in league play, 53 points, 52.7 to be exact. And, again, ETSU uh, averaging 58. So, you look at that, there's a plus there. Now, defensively in league games, ETSU's given up some significantly more points than Western Carolina. But I think it's more about the style of play that Western Carolina uh, tries to do. I think ETSU, if they can get off to a good start, because you're still playing a team that hasn't experienced a lot of winning. So if you can get off to a good start, you can get things going, and I think you got a chance. I think the dangerous thing about any team like Western Carolina is where are they start a fourth quarter? You know, is it two-possession game? You know, is it double digits? You know, where where is it in the realm of where the catamounts you know, think that they can believe that they can win. I think getting to the free throw line, which is what happened last time, right? ETSU uh, was able to knock down a bunch of free throws. I think Kyle Upton had one of her best games of her career. That stat line was just ridiculous. Um, like 16, 6, 5, 6, and 6, and 6, and 7, and 5, and I don't know what other stats she could have had, but she probably had five of that too. So um, I, I think it's going to be an opportunity for ETSU emotionally you know, to try to hurry up, get going early, and not sit and think about it. That's the bad thing of losing the game. Now, they've had time to get legs, and that's probably a good thing because of triple overtime. If they didn't play Thursday, then Saturday, and have the triple overtime on Thursday and turn around and play Saturday, that they were able after the triple overtime game to get a little bit of a breather. Plus, they didn't play another game that week, right? That was just the one game. So, in reality, instead of playing 80 minutes a week, 
right? They just played 55 minutes that week. So that, that's not as bad. So I'm not expecting leg weary at this moment, but I do think it would be good for them to get up to a good start, just try to erase, if it hasn't already been erased from the memory of the previous contest. Unfortunately, they're going to be without Ariel Harvey again. ETSU is, and Jada Craig is a day-to-day type situation. I know Coach Zell told you that on the Coach Show Monday. Nothing changed yesterday. They were back at practice. They took two days off after that triple overtime game, second longest game in program history. Well-deserved couple of days off, and we're back uh, to work yesterday, and Jada Craig did not participate in that practice. Uh, I think the big thing last game, yes, the free throws, and yes, Kaya Upton, no doubt. Um, you talk about getting off to a good start and, and where things are going into the fourth quarter. The Bucks really had a chance to put that game away midway through the third quarter. They built the lead to 39-31, to 31, and then the offense just slowed down a bit and only scored uh, five points the rest of the quarter. So over seven minutes, you know, five points, that's not – what you want to see and it allowed Western Carolina to put the game in a really uncomfortable situation it was a alley-oop from um, I believe Judith Martin Ruiz to Jewel Smalls that was the combination and Smalls right as time expired was able to put it up and in to make it a one-point game now credit to the Bucks because they did hit their free throws down the stretch got a couple of really big buckets Elise Stafford made one early there in the quarter and you know Kaya Upton you talked about she made a number of big free throws down the stretch and then Micah Sheets really sealed it at the line with six seconds left um, made two free throws to make the final 62 uh, to 57 so they had their chance to put it away they didn't do it thankfully it didn't bite them in the rear end um, and thankfully Kaya Upton as she has been really all conference season uh, was dead eye at the line and you talked about the line 17 points you know six rebounds five assists six steals tying a career high in steals and falling just a couple assists short of her career high and she had a pretty similar game last game as well uh, against Chattanooga where she put up like 16-6-5. and five. So she's been really good this conference season. She played all 55 minutes against Chad. She's becoming more and more of a key, and that's good news for ETSU because when you can count on her more, that's less that's on the shoulders of Ty Kimbrough, Shania Jackson, uh, Micah Sheets, um, and Elise Stafford. So to have that kind of fifth option uh, is big, and she – um, because he, this team, as Coach Azell said to you on the Coach Show Monday night, the only thing that's been consistent is the inconsistency. So you have to have a plethora of scoring options that you can go to, playmaking options that you can go to, uh, players that are going to do it all, uh, whether it be on the glass, distributing. And you have to have a couple of them, three or four of them really, it seemed like, if you look at the numbers, uh, have big days. And you're not probably going to get it from all five, right? I mean, you know, Sheets, you know what you're getting from her. It seems like anywhere from 10 to 15 a game right now. Kimbrough, aside from two games during the last 14-game stretch, she's almost averaging double figures if you take out those two games. Uh, Shania has, you pointed it out on the show, been better and better as well. She's finding ways to get involved in the game, um, seeming on offense to become a bit more consistent. And then I really liked what I saw down the stretch from Elise Stafford against Chattanooga. She made some big shots, made a three at the end of the first overtime that looked like it could end the game after she tied the game in regulation um, with two free throws with 18 seconds left and then a layup with 10 seconds left. So um, I'm interested to see how Elise Stafford performs because those type of shots, hitting those big shots late, uh, that can really be a confidence boost and bring you to the next level of your game. Well, the, those two are specific. I think Jackson and Stafford and the field goal percentage, you know, they're two of the top 12 in the league, conference only. Looking conference only, they're two of the top 12. And you even look at West Carolina – you take out the three-point, just go the two-point numbers, and they were phenomenal. I, I think, and I know that's part of the their game is to shoot those so you stretch and then you, you have opportunity to go inside. 
I would almost rather to see in this contest Jackson and Stafford start inside out as opposed to outside in sometimes. I think ETSU could have an advantage if they went early to those two players uh, in the paint uh, and try to get them going right in front of the rim, even uh, even when Kimbrough's in there, try to get her going. Obviously, on the defensive end, there's no worries about Kimbrough leads the league in block shots and in the league game by quite a bit, actually. So yeah. uh, I think, to me, Jack, huge, and I, I think I hope Upton has a, continues to grow and, and the all-around game she's been having. But I think in this contest, for me, I would love to see Jackson and Stafford really go to the rim, attack the rim, try to get some buckets easy right inside because they're so good around the rim. And I think on Western Carolina's side, the key, obviously, Jewel Smalls, 3 of 17 from the floor against CTSU, 0 of 9 from outside and a lot of those shots I can tell you because I was lined up pretty good with them she likes to shoot it from the left wing they were not close uh the other key for them is Timber Motes she has had a huge last two months or so um going into the last ETSU game she had started like eight consecutive games and was shooting like 73 percent from the floor I mean, it was absolutely absurd now she slowed down a little bit I think she's 57 percent in the five games since ETSU has played Western Carolina, but that's still pretty good. So she's now yeah, six- she's still second in the league, uh, only behind uh, Selena Taborn, who let, who's just a freak. Who we Let's know very honest. well, yeah, exactly. And so you know, Timber Motes, if you can slow her down, because she played 36 minutes, and you're going to see tons and tons of minutes from the starters, 10 points, uh, four rebounds. If she can get going, and Jewel Smalls can hit a few more shots, this is going to be a pretty close game, I think, regardless of how things go tomorrow. And, and this was, if I remember right. Uh, Western had a couple of opportunities, but never could he get shots off, right? Because ETSU came up with steal after steal late in the contest. So late game situation, I think, again, favors ETSU. A, they've been in more of them. And in the last couple, they've beaten Western Carolina. And to me, that's hard to get over. You know, if you're you get in a situation and you're like, okay, we got the ball, we're down two. Oh, it's almost like here we go again, right? I, I think that's a good positive thing for ETSU because they were able to make all those plays late. And that is lost in the whole shuffle of that game. You talk about Kai Upton, the huge game she had. You know, she had a big steal. And you talk about you know her offense and what she did to carry ETSU that day offensively with Micah Sheets having a bad game. But she had a steal with 120 left and a one-point lead that led to two free throws from Kaya 24 seconds later make it a three-point game and then when Western Carolina was down to kind of their last breath uh Micah Sheets and I remember the play like it was yesterday she was outside the arc it was just a simple pass from one player to another for Western uh the player was behind Micah Micah was kind of face guarding her opponent 30 feet from the basket and just had her hands up and the player behind Micah tried to throw it to I think Judith Martin Ruiz it may have even been Andrea to Judith uh, Andrea was the one that ended up being charged for the turnover it was Andrea trying to get to Jewel Smalls to try and take a three even though Smalls had missed her only eight threes of the day before missing one more before the game was over but she didn't get a chance to get one off on that possession because Micah Sheet smartly face guarding her defender back turned to the person with the ball just kept her hands up felt the ball hit the back of her hand turned around located it grabbed it and hit the two free throws to ice the game so very good defense in big spots from ETSU last game they need to once again do good work on Jewel Smalls they need to if they can find a way to keep Timber Motes off the boards and keep the ball out of her hands in good positions because she's not a jump shooter. She's not someone that's going to step outside of 10 feet. She just relies on positioning and second chance points. Find a way to keep her out of those good positions. And if you can do those two things, this has a chance to be big for ETSU on Thursday. And that would be a real confidence booster going into four games against the top four in the league. Yeah, I I think it's a, uh, if there's a must win of the season right now, I think it's for ETSU. I think they need to get 
on a streak, and they could do that starting today against Western Carolina. So don't forget, that's Thursday, 7 o'clock airtime. Nope, 6.30 airtime, 7 o'clock tip time. How about that? Brooks Jim, it's Western Carolina, it's ETSU. When we come back, Jays. Hate, 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 hate. Sports hate list coming up right after this time out. Santa Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Last segment for today. Don't forget, tomorrow we will talk everything recruiting, signing day, transfers, who's off the roster, who's expected to be on the roster, who will be here next year. How's that? We'll try to do all that. I'm going to go over to William B. Green Jr. Stadium at 4 o'clock today. Willie B. And get some sound from Coach Sanders as well, so that will be able to be heard on the show tomorrow as well. All right, brief history of this. Our Good friend, uh, not just friend of the podcast, but our color analyst for ETSU football, former quarterback Matt Wilson, just sent a simple tweet. What do you hate more than Chattanooga? Which the correct answer is probably nothing. Uh, and then I started thinking about it. What? What about? Uh, what do I hate? And then he sent back, you know, sports hate. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can come up with that. And then I said, instead of just tweeting it out into the nothing sphere, I would. Uh, Break it down with a little more context, and then maybe I'll take a picture of my list here. How long do you think that I can sit this segment out and just enjoy it instead of hopping in? How long? Over or under? Oh, I'm expecting you to hop in just to... I'm going to try. I really am going to. I'm just... Because uh, you're going to need some explanation of some things you're going to need. It's just a lot. I'm going to try to control myself, though, and not get too wrapped up in this, because I tend, when people start to talk about things that they hate... Mm-hmm. Start to feel that hate too, so I'm going to try and keep myself as much. Removed. Oh, I'd love if you come on the hate train. Well, with me. we'll it'd be great. Okay, number ten. I should have did something more like we have like a drum roll or something. But number ten, the Miami Dolphins. Okay, I made it about three seconds. How, why are the Miami Dolphins on the list? You're not a Patriots fan anymore. You're a Chiefs fan. I. This is over my lifetime. Okay, this is uh, this is all the hate over my life. So you're saying up until now, when you abandoned the Patriots and hopped in the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, I probably because in a little bit of context, the Dolphins slash fans are part of the reason why I hate the Dolphins. The Dolphins—they've uh, never won been anything, so bad. right? That's the thing. Yeah, that's right. Why. They've never won anything. They are the biggest uh, whiny baby fan base in America. Uh, even when they know they're going to be bad, they still complain about it. They still do everything. I think it came down to uh, back in the day when Bailey's was in Johnson City, which was a sports bar, and me and the only other Patriot fan at that time would go hide in a corner, mind our business, and there was a huge conglomerate of Dolphins fans. This was before the Steeler Nation kind of took over. And they would turn their corner if New England was losing the game in the mid-'90s, and they would just hammer you. I mean, just for no reason. Ah, oh, you're losing to the and they whoever. lost a lot of games in the mid '90s. Well, too. you know they, they, you know they were still the Dan Marino was still going and cranking at that time. Oh no, the Dolphins didn't. The Patriots did. The, the 
Yeah, the Patriots. Or were they past they, those? Nah, they, they were. Had they were a little bit. Yeah, okay. I mean, it was uh, when I got to school was right as Bledsoe got drafted. So, the, okay. the, you know, in '96, accidentally went Super Bowl and lost to Green Bay. God, were they in that Super Bowl? That's right. Wow, yeah, '96. So then '97, '98, they were sort of kind of hanging around. They had the you know the Cats and Moyer defenses and all that. So they were starting to. It was Parcells was there, so we were starting to get, and then it went to the Pete Carroll era, and then that's where the, I was the dark more, turn happened. I guess I was thinking more like, and they weren't early awful, to mid. but they yeah. weren't awful. But every year they got worse. You know, they were like, okay, they're a playoff team, and they're like nine seven. They're maybe like seven and nine as last year. Literally, it was gone. eleven and five, ten and six, nine and seven, eight and eight, and then bottomed out at five and eleven. Yeah, and, and then won a Super Bowl buying Tom Brady. Yeah, there we go. Hey, you know, they, they got they got uh, Bill in there. So, but the Dolphins, it, huh. you, it really goes back to a lot of the fans and everything, uh, and and honestly, growing up in the eighties, it was Dolphins were better, you know, seventies. Uh, I don't remember, but they were better in the seventies. Nineties were, I think, split. I, th- I try to look. I try to look that up. And actually, the eighties were not that bad. Pats were about five hundred. Now, obviously, the last went to a Super Bowl in the eighties. The, the last little bit, it's been. All New England, which is funny, but the six losses New England has in the 2010s, and then uh, and since the 2010s, again they've beat them about every year. So it's amazing. They've always been able to split. So the Dolphins are number ten. That's good context because I was very skeptical, but over the lifetime plus the scene, I can picture the scene in Bailey's or whatever. Jack Wagon called. fans. Oh yeah, I can, yeah so I can of them not winning anything. I feel okay. bad in my bones. Number nine, every excuse making private school in America. I feel like you're going to bring this closer to home here in a second. I mean, just an example, <laughs> Stephen F. Austin beats Duke. Okay. Now yeah. we've got a little issue. Yeah. Well, what I'm really going with this is Davidson and Belmont. Yeah, I figured That's really where I'm going. <laughs> the Davidson, Bob McKillop, and all his little whiny excuses for when they lost, and we've got to change the league schedule because it's so unfair to our academics of <laughs> Davidson. And, yeah, we got him, yeah. and then the SoCon would just uh, kind of wane and pillar – and then it's sort of what they do with Wofford a little bit, but Wofford, at least the coaches that were there, they there's no excuses from them. They've never given that. Belmont, same thing. Most coaches, when you get beat, hey, somebody played better than us. You know, we didn't play well, but let's give them credit. You lose or you beat – excuse me, you beat Rick Bird, right? Well, gosh, we just – you know, we just cost ourselves the game. Well, did they do anything? No, no, it was all us. We, we blew it. All right, Rick, thank you. What about you, Bob McKillop? Oh, yeah, we were better. We just we just didn't do it today. Thank you, Bob. Okay, Matt Ryan. Okay. College, College Charleston, your lazy excuses when we beat you and Tom Harrion and all your whiny little crappy excuses when we hammer you. Anyways, every excuse making private school, I think we can all feel that, right? As public school guys. Are you a private school guy? No, no, I'm not. Okay, simple jam. All right, number eight. This is for the Buck Nation that's really been with us for a while. Doug Sermons. Honorable mention, Raina Tilly, but Doug Sermons. Let me paint the picture for you, Mike, because I can tell you're not familiar with Dougie. Little Dougie Sermons was in a game in 2008. Getting the exact date for you, real quick, because. I know it was March. March 7th, 2008. My birthday. My birthday. Was it? How old were you then? 19th birthday. 19th birthday. I'm sure you were watching, as everyone was, the Atlantic Sun Conference semifinal game. I was. Versus the Belmont Bruins from Allen Arena. Barnburn. Lipscomb's campus. 
8.15 tip time. I'm sure you were. Mm-hmm. That was Eastern. 7.15. So 7.15 was, your yeah. time. Yeah, sure. Oh, I remember it. ETSU leading. Mike Smith just hit a couple of free throws to put the Bucks up 65-62. Justin Hare missed a three-pointer. Then the Bucks committed a foul by Andrew Reed. A couple of free throws cut it to a one-point game. ETSU had to inbound, kill some clock. They get the ball to Kenyana Swader. It's a name you might not have heard of, but Kenyana Swader, a JUCO player from Smyrna, Tennessee, played a couple years for ETSU. One of my favorites. 17 seconds to go. He is fouled by a one Andy Wick. Kenyana then kind of lifts an elbow and takes a half step towards Mr. Wick. In a one-point game with 17 seconds to go to decide who's going to the finals, who's going to play Jacksonville, who was one of the worst teams in the history of the ASUN at that time, which whoever won that game, because Belmont won by about 25, ETSU would have won by about 35. But that being said, Doug Sermon steps in with the rare technical foul on a non-contact, non-cursing, non-anything play. He didn't slam a clipboard down. He didn't do anything crazy. Didn't call an extra timeout. Didn't do anything you would normally do to get a technical foul late in the game. No, Dougie. Technical foul. So they send Justin Hare, who was led the nation in free throw shooting at 94% that year, who goes and promptly hits both technical free throws. But because that's happened, then we go back to the other end. So now the Bucks are down 66-65 instead of being up one. Fouled it still 1-1 one and one for ETSU. They're now down one. Kenyana Swader, 78% free throw shooter for the season. Dejected from all of this. Misses the front end of the one and one. Hare gets the rebound, gets fouled, hits two more free throws. Bucks miss a three. Ball game is over. And a chance to go to the NCAA tournament because there is no human being on this planet that would have thought Jacksonville would have beat either one of the two teams, Belmont or ETSU. Belmont rolls the next day they go to the tournament. ETSU comes back the next two years, beats Belmont, goes to the NCAA tournament, and maybe all is forgiven, I don't know. But needless to say, instead of a three-peat for ETSU, the NCAA tournament trip is taken away by one little Dougie Sermons. Oh, Dougie, Doug, Doug, Dougie, Doug, Doug. And those unfamiliar with Doug Sermons work, if you just YouTube Doug Sermons, the first thing that will pop up is Doug Sermon sucks with a list of all of his technical fouls and ejections. <laughs> number seven on my list. I'm very impressed with number eight, by the way. Twitter guy who has a Bible verse in his bio talks about loving his wife then spews the foul mouth hate about everything sports. I cannot stand that guy. I feel like this is one of the reasons that you are not often on Twitter. You're on probably four or five times a week. It's once it a day. Yes, right. It's a fly through. It's because it's that guy. And it's the, the guy that wants to try to either poke or think that he's funny. It's one thing to be like, okay, I'm an antagonist. I'm just going to be that, and I'm going to openly admit that. I don't care. That guy I'm fine with. I have no problem with that guy. The guy that's jobless that just wants to sit on Twitter and hammer everybody, he owns it. So I'm fine with that guy. It's the guy that tries to hide behind. And then when you bring up a point or somebody comes back at him, and then it's like he's appalled. He just, you know, now, you know, uh, my wife and kids read this like you need to get off my back and I'm like you're the one that's just spewed the foul mouth so I cannot stand the Twitter guy with the fake bio apparently whose main goal in life is to just to be that guy can I throw in and maybe this sure. is the kind of guy that you're talking about but I have a friend very uh, successful uh, got like 100,000 followers I was interned for him at KFAN up in Minneapolis uh, in my very fledgling days of radio um, 
great guy. Phenomenal dude. And married just a smoke show. Like, really good-looking gal. Also worked at the station on one of the stations in the Clear Channel conglomerate up there. Both of them morning show hosts, like, do really, really well. They got married, and it lasted, like, six, nine months, and it faded into the moonlight, and people were very unclear about what happened, and then it slowly made its way out that uh, she cheated on him, and it was an ugly, ugly, I'm sure very painful thing, especially having to see said other person every day because they both still work there. And when people started to find out, the guy with 14 followers – in whatever basement he's tweeting from yes. was like, oh, well, that's why your wife cheated on you. Every single thing this guy would post. And keep in mind, this guy still does really well and is still on that morning show and has gotten raise after raise after raise, and his notoriety has raised and raised and raised along with those raises. And so he's not phased by all this, and he's learned to take it in stride. But to the guy behind the keyboard with 14 followers that goes with the personal attacks on somebody that they don't know and they just want to do to quote-unquote be funny because it's not funny – uh, that would be my number, probably three, two, or one, but that jogged my memory. Thanks yeah, no, I mean, but, because, I, again, it's one thing to go for a guy that wants to be antagonist, but we'll give you, okay, you made a good point, right? And so another thing just to be, just to spew foul mouth, judgy judgerton of everybody. with, the, And if and I just like when they have the Bible verse, and then immediately when somebody sends something back to them, they F-bomb GD, like, straight on there. Like, what are you doing? Like, I thought... Do we not believe in John three sixteen? What are we doing? I don't understand what's going <laughs> well, on. Well, and, and it would be like you know, th- this same guy would just be Flipping like four thirteen. Jay, sorry, the gym. You're getting back into working out. I'm proud of you. Uh, Jay, sorry, the gym the other day. Wait, you're doing ninety five on the bench? What are you, a girl or whatever like that? And it's like, uh, sure. Well, sorry, I uh, I hurt my back in the war protecting this country. Like, I don't even know what's coming back. Don't go there because you don't know the circumstances of someone again that you are I, not familiar with and have not met. Like when you start to make attacks like that that are personal, <laughs> you're really treading in some very dangerous and, territory. And I'm so sarcastic that I, that that it just doesn't come across right. Half my stuff that I even tweet, uh, I mean sarcastic, and I wish there was like a special. You know, font that was sarcasm, so then people know <laughs> that's a million dollar like, idea. Sarcasm like, font, like you, like I really don't mean that, but you know, because people will come back at me like, oh gosh, like some guy that day told me I was a disgrace to ETSU or something because I tweeted something that was sarcastic, but then I, I was like, well, do I even want to go back at this guy? I'm like, no, he's I'm already disgraced ETSU. Of, I'm, I'm just gonna live with it. <laughs> I'll just live with it. No big deal. I like sarcasm font. Uh, let me throw in at number six for me as the guy that has million dollar ideas but never does anything about him. Go. All right, number six, the St. Louis Cardinals. Ah, I'm a Cubs fan. Sure, yeah, you're a Cubs there you fan go. for whatever reason. Yes, yeah, my mom's fault. But uh, mine's the guy that has never lived in the city and is a fan of the team anyway. Anyway, keep going. Okay, <laughs> what if you lived in nine states and none of those cities had a team? No, still isn't still isn't okay. for me. All right, uh, number five. I think everyone can relate to this in some form or fashion. The golf guy who shoots 75 <laughs> when you don't play with them, but yet when you play around with them, they're 90 or higher. Why even tell me and lie about your golf? I don't care enough about my golf game to lie. What did I shoot? 97. I don't care. Whatever it is. Have I shot a 73 before? Yes. Have I shot 117 before? Yes. What did you shoot that day? I will tell you my golf score. I could care less. But I can't stand the guy that's always shooting 75, and then you get to go play with him. And they, they're, you're just sitting there staring at them going, you can't shoot 75 if I gave you 10 mulligans aside. Like, I don't know where you're coming up with this lie. Like, I don't know what kind of gimmies you're allowed to give yourself. But I can't stand the golf guy. And this could be really anything. Like, I don't know, if you bowl and you got a bowler friend, yeah, I got 275. 
and you go bowl with them, and they can't break 150. And you're going, when are you throwing these 275 games? Like, I think you can relate to this to other sports uh, or fishing. Maybe there's a great angler buddy you got, and he's like, oh, yeah, I caught 12 catfish last week. And you go fishing with them, you can't catch one. And you're going, are the fish just biting apparently when I'm not around? Is it me? Is it my body odor? I can't stand that guy. I feel attacked. Okay. Are you – is that, do you lie? Well, you put with the three wood. It doesn't matter. Let's move on. All right, number four, self-explanatory, Ohio State. All right. <laughs> I don't think I have to go any further than that. And I, I think, uh, I mean, that's pretty much all I can say because they've been so dominant. Number three, this one is one of my favorite ones I came up with, Alex Gonzalez. <laughs> and I, know I don't want to hear nothing here. about Bartman. I know Alex I, yeah. Gonzalez. Yeah. He led the league fielding percentage five straight years the third of the five straight was the time when he had a two hopper go between his legs that took away the double play that would have ended everything and poor bartman steve bartman would have been able to live his life the way he would have alex gonzalez is the reason all of that happened not steve but alex gonzalez's best thing that happened to him was a guy with earmuffs trying to make a play against moises Alou. That's the best thing that happened to Alex Gonzalez, and the sports hate for Alex Gonzalez runs deep. I am 100% with you on that one. I'm not, I'm still, and I argue with people about this to this day, I don't think Alou would have caught the ball if Bartman was not there. Now, regardless of it that. It wasn't a guarantee. No. There, there's, no, there's no way you can look at that. Again, long time. There's no way I'm looking at that and going, well, that's a guarantee. No, Let me tell you what, chance. it was a guarantee. The two-hopper to <laughs> Alex Gonzalez that I've seen him turn 65 times that year. And Alex Gonzalez, if he would have caught heat for that, he's going to be able to recover and move on. He's got millions of dollars. He's going to find other gigs in the league. Steve Bartman is just a guy in a seat that had to pick up and move to, like, Jacksonville or something. And I remember the story. I read the story, like, three or four years after it had happened, or it was sometime, you They know. gave him a ring, at, but he didn't want to come back to get it. They you did can't. give it to him. You can't they did come give back. It to him. But, but he, some reporter, I can't remember who it was, someone from ESPN, like, had to hunt him down in a parking garage at his new job in Florida. Like, it was, this guy's life was obliterated by this happening. There's no justice. There's just no justice. All right, number two, Satan. What do you got against state? Just a lot. Okay. Number one, Chattanooga. There you go. <laughs> There's my list. There's my list. I like that uh, Satan made the list. I think it usually goes without saying, but for effect, I absolutely love that Satan is number two. So what is your feeling now when you get, you got to go in about like an hour to Chattanooga. What's your feeling then knowing that you're going to a place that you hate more than Satan? What's your feeling driving to that place? I need to get inside the head of Jay Sandoz. Not that I ever want to be there, but I want to be there. Oh, the blood boils. I mean, I still get jacked up for this game. More than any other game. It, it, yeah, I, love it. I, I love it when both teams are play for something, but even like football, when we weren't playing for anything. I mean, who was more jacked up for that game? No, I answered it. It was me. All right. That'll do it. I'll, uh, maybe I'll take a picture and post that. I think I misspelled sermons wrong, but who cares? Nobody likes him anyways. I did have an honorable mention. Ray Natilla. He had the technical foul on Cromer and Forbes the first year they were here, if you remember that. All right, special football edition tomorrow. Stand aside, get back in his right hour. You can go all that. See ya.